Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan podcast. I'm your host, Karin Nidja, and this podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery from chronic diseases after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. This week, I was lucky enough to interview Joyce Hale, and her story of how she overcame lupus was one of the most moving stories I've ever heard. I think I was, you'd be able to hear, I was pretty much like speechless um, the entire time between like feeling like I'm just going to break down crying. Having lived with MS and that diagnosis and that, you know, that pretty much 10 years of, almost 10 years of my life where I was frightened and unable to live the way I wanted to live with my body wasn't working the way I wanted it to work and having numbness and relapses and all those kinds of things. Hearing this story, because lupus is quite quite similar in the way the immune system is, well, thinks that a part of our bodies is, you know, like, like a virus. That's what, that's what the medical thoughts are about the disease. And so it, it, it attacks, like so from MS, it attacks the myelin, the protective fatty tissue kind of around the nerves in, in our nervous system and our brain and our spinal cord. In lupus, it attacks the cells in our, the tissue in our, in, in our organs. And for Joyce, you know, it was attacking, her body was attacking her heart and it was attacking her lungs. And you will hear just the, <laughs> it was like up until she turned 40 and up until she found a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. It was it, this disease took everything from her. She was having seizures every day. She was going to ICU like multiple times a year. She was, you know, it was just. Oh, you'll hear it for yourself in this story, but it, this disease really took almost everything from her, and it had no sign of slowing or stopping. And I think for so many people out there who are living with this disease, you know, there's, apart from lots and lots and lots of drugs and medications, you're just in the hands of the disease. So I, I hope that people listening to the story will, will hear Joyce's story and think that maybe a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet is something that they could try alongside their medication, alongside their work with their doctors and other professionals and I'm hoping to be bringing, you know, more stories of recovery from lupus throughout this year. So keep your ear out for that. But if you have someone in your life or you are someone living with this disease, this episode is so, so, <laughs> I can't even talk. It was just, uh, it was just so moving. That's all I can think to say. It's definitely worth checking out. So please enjoy Joyce's story of her journey with lupus. See you soon. Hello, Joyce, and welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming. I'm so excited to hear your story and for you to share your story with my listeners and everyone out there. I guess all I really want to say is please share your story. Start from the start. Tell us the very worst horrible stuff. And Oh, <laughs> hopefully I will not scare off your listeners too quickly. Um, 
it, it ends very well, but it the beginning's well. a little bit rough. These stories always <laughs> end well, so I hope everyone knows. If you're listening, these are these are hope stories, not miserable stories. But they have to right. start. They have to start at the start because people who are listening might be at that start, and it's really important for them to exactly. hear that somebody else was also there feeling that way. I agree 100%. Um, as far as starting from the beginning, it is the literal beginning of my life the day I was born. I was born ill. I was born with 103 fever and with the measles. And that started off uh, my nonstop immune system chaos. Uh, basically, I was on and off sick my entire childhood. And I believe I received the label of a sickly child. And um, I want to say back then, which is way back then, uh, since I'm starting to approach uh, 50. Um, it was a long time ago. And I think sometimes when kids were that overly sick, they obviously didn't have the knowledge they did now. And when they couldn't figure things out, you, you just got that label. And I'm sure it was very frustrating for my parents because they want to take care of their child. And every time I turned around, I had something bizarre going on. Uh, my friends would get the flu or get a cold, and I would end up with this over-the-top immune system uh, crisis, um, rashes all over me, and um, just really wasn't pleasant. Um, fortunately, it didn't take over my childhood, and I could be active when I wasn't sick, but it definitely took a lot of... Um, time out of the equation and a lot of missed school, which was really frustrating since I actually liked school and I liked my friends. Um, I thought I would grow out of it as I'm sure my doctor did and I'm sure my parents did. But unfortunately, by the time I was in high school and then college, it only continued to worsen, which was really frustrating for me because that sickly child label you don't think is going to follow you into your 20s. And when you're trying to have fun with your friends and go out and party, but you're sick and still don't know why. So I spent a lot of time at the health center um, when I was off at college and just very frustrated and confused, not really understanding what was happening to me. And um, I eventually moved out of state. And I want to say it was probably about the time I was 21, maybe 22 was the first time I ever got out of bed in the middle of the night and fell to the floor. And I remember calling my father, which is probably a horrible thing to do in the middle of the night, uh, you know, not in the same state, so he can't come and help me, just crying hysterically that I had to crawl to the phone, I can't walk. And... Um, I know that I spent a lot of time where I was going to the hospital, going to doctors, having tests run, unexplainable pain, um, infections. So here I was now in my early 20s, still dealing with what I dealt with in my teens and my early years, and just very, very frustrated watching all my friends really get to live their lives and me scratching my head as this just continued on and really didn't see an end or didn't have any answers. And it really wasn't until my late 20s when the diagnosis finally came, and that was lupus. And I knew I had been tested for it before, so I thought since it had not come back positive that I was out of the woods on that diagnosis. So when it did come, 
it, it really took my breath away. Um, didn't have the internet back then, so you had to look up everything old-fashioned by going to a library and uh, getting books out of magazines and do the best you could. But it was a very overwhelming time to get a diagnosis like that and not really have the resources we have now today with the internet or now Facebook uh, support groups. And um, I want to say it was a really difficult time for me. Um, I had also lost my parents about a year and a half before I got the diagnosis. So while they had gone through all the weird, mysterious um, illnesses, I didn't have them to help me through the diagnosis. And unfortunately, my, oh, no. my poor sister and brother really had to take up the weight of being my support system for me. And I want to say that was probably difficult for them, too, because they weren't much older than me. You know, and then once you get that diagnosis, it's doctor after doctor after doctor and just basically being a guinea pig for what they want to try on you medication wise, what your body will accept. And I thought I was kind of a rarity, but over the years, I learned out that a lot of autoimmune patients reject a lot of medications. And I was definitely um, falling into that category and um, that, and I think that's why I call it being a guinea pig of them trying different things and me failing at just about every medication they tried on me. And um, that was pretty much the end of my 20s and my early 30s is just playing with medications and different doctors and different specialists. Can I just pause you there for a moment? Because even though I know a bit about lupus, just because prior to my MS diagnosis, they thought I had lupus. So I read about it when it was in that period where they thought you probably have, they said, they said I did have it. And then they called me back a couple of weeks later. I'm like, actually, we read the results wrong. You don't have it. So for two weeks, oh, I thought cool. I had lupus. <laughs> that's horrible. I know. But I just wanted to say, because even though I know a bit because of my two weeks having lupus prior to my <laughs> multiple sclerosis diagnosis, I I imagine lots of people don't know what what it means to have lupus. And so if you could explain what lupus is, that would be wonderful. Basically, the easiest way to describe it is the immune system is confused. That's the most basic version of it. Um, when we ever encounter foreign bodies, um, you know, flu bug, um, you know, cold, anything that triggers the immune system, someone with an autoimmune condition like lupus, their antibodies are supposed to go out and attack that foreign invader. But unfortunately, with uh, lupus, your body cannot distinguish its own tissue from the foreign invader, and it mistakenly attacks its own body. Basically, it builds antibodies against its own tissue. And when that foreign invader is still running around rapid in your body, the immune system triggers off, hey, we didn't send enough, we need to send more. So it builds more antibodies, and again, building more antibodies against its own tissue. So it starts a really vicious cycle of an attack on the own body, while the foreign invader gets to have a really fun party inside your body. And, um, and that's why going back to when I said, you know, my friends would get the flu or a cold or something, and I would end up with this weird mutated version of whatever they had, plus a few other things. It was because my immune system was attacking myself, myself, as opposed to what it was supposed to get rid of and, it, and remove from my body. And, um, so a lot of patients, um, will take steroids to try and stop the immune system from going into overdrive like that. 
And it's kind of frightening to think that you are taking something to stop your immune system. And I'm going to be really honest, it doesn't always work. Um, (laughs) You still end up with flares, you still end up with infections, and you end up taking lots of medications to just chase symptoms around in your body. And when your immune system's already confused, it's really hard for it to know what to do with the cocktails of medications you end up taking. And um, it, it's, it's just a vicious cycle after vicious cycle of what you do to your body. And unfortunately, I believe that's why some patients get to a certain level where no matter how many meds they're taking, the disease just keeps progressing aggressively. And that's definitely where I was um, through my 30s and into my early 40s. Um, I, at one point, had basically every organ attacked. My kidneys have been attacked. My heart's been attacked. Um, my lungs have been attacked very aggressively. Um, and what I didn't understand was my blood vessels could be attacked. My skin could be attacked. My bones could be attacked. So it's really a free-for-all um, with this particular autoimmune condition. And at one point, my jaw disintegrated. So I thought it was bad when I would be in the intensive care unit, where I'd be in the cardiac unit. I would be in the infectious disease unit and everyone wearing masks around me. But when my jaw completely disintegrated, that was shocking to me because I did not know that lupus could do that to me. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Uh, It's like eating your lunch. And suddenly not able to open your mouth to get a fork or a spoon in. And what had really led up to it was two years of what I thought was earaches. Um, I had been in the infectious disease ward for a while. And during that time, I developed what I thought was an earache. They eventually released me, put a bunch of shots into my face and said I would be fine. It must be the lupus. Whenever they can't find something and they know you have the diagnosis, you hear this crazy uh, phrase. Oh, it must be just your lupus. We can't do anything about it. I have to interrupt you because that happened to me so many times. I actually stopped telling new new doctors that I had MS because I actually wanted them to treat me and not just say, oh, you're depressed, that's the MS. Oh, you're tired, that's the MS. Oh, you got aches and pains, that's the MS. I'm just like, can you just have a look just in case it's not the MS? <laughs> like, right, exactly. Uh, so, you know, it, it does, it messes with your head mm. because you get to a certain point where you stop complaining because if you have everyone telling you it's just the lupus and we can't do anything about it, you have to adopt that mentality just to try and avoid some of the frustration, let alone the expenses of constantly going to a doctor and not having them able to do anything. So that is why when people ask me, well, why did you deal with an earache for two years? Because it was just my lupus and that's just what you do. You accept the new normal and you move on with your life. So for two years, I had horrible earaches until that day when I had lunch and couldn't open my jaw. And after a couple specialists, I found out it was never an earache. My jaw was disintegrating. And they ran a CT scan of my head. And I heard him down the hall nicely telling his team of specialists 
you're going to need to go back in there and tell her we cannot do conservative treatment. We can't do physical therapy. Her jaw has melted down and looks like a melted ice cream cone. And there has been a ridge built by the bone forming. And that is why she can't open her mouth. And there's nothing we can do conservatively. We need to go in and build a new jaw for her. And I don't know if he didn't realize the door was open. or <laughs> So they try to say it nicely. And, you know, just of it is, they're telling me we're going to have to go in, cut your head open, and build a new jaw out of a rib bone. Oh, my God. And- so it's two surgeries. So they're going to extract a rib bone. Um, and the, what they did is they whittled it down into the shape of my jaw. Oh, my God. I attached it with a titanium plate. Oh, my goodness. And um, s- sewed me back up. And that, that definitely requires some uh, hair being shaved from your head <laughs> in order to do this. Because it's quite a large cut for them to open up your face and build a new jaw. And... Um, it was six months of therapy to learn how to speak properly um, because the nerves don't repair. The muscles never repaired. Uh, so I had to learn how to speak completely different than I um, had for the first 40 years of my life and um, learn how to adjust to eat properly. So it was a very frustrating process, but the doctor said I did great. And quite honestly, the doctor did you great. You sound because, amazing, uh, just so you know. You're so funny. <laughs> I'm amazed that you sound like this. Like, that's incredible. speech therapy goes a long, long way. <laughs> um, and it was important for me, too, because I was asked to speak at a funeral of someone very close to me. And I, I didn't want to be self-conscious. I wanted to do a good job for the family and for the person that had passed. So it was very important for me to sound normal and articulate. And so I I have to credit my physical therapist for really pushing me and allowing me to push myself. Um, And ultimately, when you're sick for that long, dealing with all the ups and downs that you do up to that point, you learn how to push through. So yeah, I'm really grateful for all the support that I had, but definitely for some of the specialists that were, were willing to work with me at that time. Um, and I guess that's where some of the hope comes in. So some of the stuff sounds really horrible and scary, and it was. Um, some of it sounds very depressing, and it was. Um, but when you're working with a good team and you have a great support system, you find a way to get through. Um, unfortunately, what they didn't tell me was that as the years would go by, there would be a very good chance that the other side of my jaw would go too. And I don't know if that was me being naive, if that was me not researching enough. Um, I eventually learned from other lupus patients when a large um, joint goes that there's a high probability that the same joint on the other side of the body could go. Uh, it took me a while to meet those patients, but I definitely did. And um, it was probably about five or six years after the first surgery when I found out that the other side was going. And you would think that because I did so well getting through that surgery that I I, I would be like, okay, I've got this, except for I I left out the fact that part of the physical therapy and how I can speak is relying on the other side of my jaw to do a little extra work for the side that's not functioning properly. 
And I asked them what would happen when they cut through the other side. And I asked how I would speak when one side is already gone and the other side is cut through and how I would eat. And they really couldn't answer that question. They said, we don't have any answers for you. We're not sure how this is going to work. You would be our first patient where we're doing both sides. And I was really thrown off. And then what made it the salt in the wound moment was they said the best way to put off having that surgery or maybe even avoid it altogether was if I could keep my lupus in check. And I, I, I was just How completely do you do that? <laughs> right. Because the whole reason I'm sitting in their office is my lupus is not in check. The whole reason every organ has been attacked and my blood vessels with vasculitis and everything is I don't have my lupus in check. And at the same time that this is happening, I am having multiple seizures a day. Um, it seems odd that I would leave that out in my story as if it were minor. Um, but, you know, there were days where I would have six seizures in one morning. So I'm difficulty walking. I have horrific neuropathy in addition to the seizures. They keep giving me more and more meds. So I'm trying to keep my lupus under control. But it's really just not working. And every time I turn around, the disease is progressing and they're upping my meds. And the disease is progressing and they're upping my meds. So uh, realistically, during this time phase with the seizures, with the neuropathy and with the jaw disintegration um, and, you know, all the organ involvement, I'm taking quite a combination of meds. In addition to the steroids, I'm also taking Plaquenil, which is an anti-malaria drug to help with the infections, which it wasn't helping. Um, I'm also um, taking Lyrica, which is to help the neuropathy and seizures, but if they're increasing, it's obviously not helping. And I was taking a fairly new FDA-approved drug, and it's called Venlista. It's an infusion uh, that I would do once a month to kill off parts of my immune system. Uh, basically, it would attack certain cells in my body and immune system stimulators. Um, so again, something else to try and turn my immune system off. And none of these things are stopping the progression of the illness. And I have this wonderful uh, group team of doctors telling me to keep my lupus in check. And I started sobbing and they unfortunately walked out of the room just hanging their heads because they could see um, how hopeless I was. And I felt bad for them because they can't give me any good answers. And now they've got this poor girl crying in front of them um, who's losing the other side of her jaw. And I felt like I was losing everything. And oddly, at this same time, my boyfriend is about to have a milestone birthday He's looking at his family history of heart um, issues, high cholesterol, and uh, high blood pressure. And he finds uh, Dr. Coldwell Esselstyn uh, Jr. <laughs> I'm, <so> <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a few of your listeners have probably heard of him. Um, what's really cool about him uh, is, um, in addition to just that he's amazing at uh, the amount of people that he has saved, He's here in our backyard in Cleveland, Ohio. And so my boyfriend takes his parents to see him for a day-long lecture. 
He comes back. I swear he has a bromance on this doctor. He will not shut up about this doctor. Keeps telling me about all these wonderful things that this doctor is doing. And I have this lifelong history of doctors have not done anything for me. I don't like doctors. Um, They really haven't mastered anything. They did a great job with my surgery on my face. But in general, not a big fan of doctors. So I'm like really confused by him talking this doctor up. And I had never heard of him. And quite honestly, I don't have any history with cardiac issues because anything time I was in the cardiac wing, it was my lupus. It wasn't a cardiac issue. So I really had never looked into cardiac issues and therefore I would have never heard of this particular doctor or Dr. Russellson. I've never heard of him and he's here in my backyard. My boyfriend keeps talking about this whole food plant-based diet that he's going to do with his parents and how wonderful it is. I think I'm going to (laughs) cry. I think I'm going to (laughs) cry. Like, oh my gosh, just it's so funny how it's such all of that, and he just stumbles across pretty much like my most incredible pioneer of whole food plant-based diet. Like it's just, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hear the rest, but I'm just like tearing up just, gosh, what an ordeal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, regardless of one's spiritual beliefs, definitely divine intervention on some level. But unfortunately, because I have failed at everything I've tried, um, I'm not hearing everything he's telling me. Um, I'm responding with, but I don't have cardiac issues, babe. <laughs> so, you know, this is really great for you and your family. I, I'm, you know, I think this is wonderful. You know, I, I hope this works for you, but I don't have cardiac issues. And he's trying to get me to m- open my mind to it. And he's, he starts telling me, well, I hear it works for other things too. I hear it works for diabetes. Don't have diabetes. I hear it works for MS. I don't have MS. I hear it works for this. I hear it works for this. You know, he's saying all these things and my response every time, but I don't have. And he said, it might work for autoimmune. I'm starting to hear a few things about that. And I think he's pulling my leg. And I said, I have a titanium plate in my face. I can barely chew food. The other side of my jaw is going, and you want me to gnaw on kale? What is wrong with you? I'm thinking this this man is crazy, you know, and and I'm sure it doesn't work for me because every miracle cure that I've ever tried had failed miserably. And I played this little dance with him for a while. I literally said at one point, if this is a deal breaker for you and me, just tell me now and we can end this, which is such a horrible girlfriend thing to say. But I was just very frustrated and I really had set myself up that everything else had failed. I don't want to fail at anything else. So I just really don't want to try. So literally making myself fail before I even try. And one weekend while he was away, I uh, started hearing things that I have said to people play over my head. One thing in particular, I had told my doctor a week earlier, I would do anything to stop this. I would do anything to have a normal life. And all of a sudden I realized I am such a horrible hypocrite. I'm telling all these people, my doctor, I'm telling my boyfriend, I'm telling my family, I would do anything. And here my boyfriend is telling me something really simple. Let's change how we eat and I won't try it. I'll try chemo. I'll sit once a month and have an IV run through my um, arm and kill off blood cells, but I won't try broccoli and sprouts or God forbid kale, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so fortunately he was away that weekend as this starts playing off in my head 
it was an infusion weekend. So I talked to a couple of nurses and told them I was really second guessing my position on diet. Um, I had gone to what I, I considered a Mediterranean diet, a cleaner diet a year earlier. And I felt that my medications were working and I, I'm using air quotes right now, which you can't see. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but unfortunately, my seizures were still getting worse. They were looking at upping my medications. And the two nurses that sat with me that day said, you know, you're really doing good on the Mediterranean diet. I don't think you need to be so hard on yourself. You know, you're doing well. You're, you're, you're winning finally. And I just thought to myself after they left that day, while I was still sitting there um, with a drip going into my arm, wow, this is winning. <laughs> this is a really bizarre way of winning. Um, I, I'm not getting it. And I, and I, I think I deserve better. So let's run forward with a little bit more divine intervention. Um, that afternoon, Dr. Oz advertisement came on and I'm going to lay in bed for the rest of the day while I recover from my infusion. It always made me really groggy and lightheaded and best to just kind of sleep it off. And Dr. Oz has um, Dr. Neil Bernard on talking about how to stop Alzheimer's in its tracks. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really interesting afternoon. I'm going to watch this. And I remember when it came on, he starts talking about this plant-based diet that the boyfriend's talking about. Yeah, wow. I was like, oh my goodness, there's something to be said for him start listing off all these different diseases that it works for. <laughs> he wasn't making this stuff up. This is real. And the next day, there was a series of lectures on our PBS channel. The public broadca broadcasting station did all these different doctors talking about how to really just stop chronic disease in its tracks and reverse disease. Every one of these doctors, they were all talking about the same thing. Once again, going back to this whole food plant-based diet. Wow. And it really blew my mind that... Uh, this is so much bigger than I realized. It's it's not this one doctor. It's not this one disease. There's a whole different world out there that none of my doctors have been talking about. Kind of upset that my doctors haven't talked to me about it, but oh my goodness, I can't believe that all these doctors are doing this. And I really felt that at that point in time, the universe was shaking me as hard as it could saying, you really should be trying this. Um, not only you're a hypocrite for saying that you would try anything and you're not trying this, but there's some serious hope in this. This isn't, you're going to try it for 30 days. You're going to fail again and, you know, wipe your hands clean and move on with your life. There, there's some serious hope. There's something going on here and it's time for you to jump on. And literally right then that weekend, no turning back. I jumped into it. Um, I didn't tell anybody initially, and I didn't even tell my boyfriend that I was doing it. Uh, he came back the next day. We watched a CD that his friend had sent us about uh, all these people people that had beat end-stage cancer. And of course, once again, it's whole food plant-based. And um, so I was glad that I was doing it, but I was afraid to tell him because if it didn't work, I didn't want him to be disappointed. I was going to deal with my disappointment on my own, let him believe that I didn't try it, and I was just stubborn. Um, but I just didn't want to share dis any more disappointment for him. And I went about my business, went to back to work. And 
three days after back to work, after that infusion, all my friends were asking me, what are you doing? What's going on with you? You look so much better. You know, you're more alive. I said, oh my goodness, I'm doing that diet that my boyfriend has been talking to me about for four months. And I feel amazing. So how how soon was this? The first week? The first week, within the first few days, which is mind boggling. And I know it's not that way for everybody. And then for some people, it literally is that way. Um, I know some people, it worked a lot faster as far as getting off meds than it did for me. But my body reacted amazing to this. It's, it's like my body knew how to function for the first time ever. My body could extract nutrients uh, from food that it was eating, which it wasn't obviously doing before. And I know with after meeting a lot of autoimmune patients, some of them do have nutrient deficiencies. And so it is, is it a matter of that they're not extracting the nutrients from what they eat or do they just have a hideous diet? Is it a combination of it? Um, you know, if the body's already confused, can it metabolize things properly? Cause it certainly can't couldn't metabolize the medications I, I tried and failed at. So, you know, I, I, in my mind, there's this crazy combination of things that would make my body react so positively to what was true clean food versus what I was doing on my so-called Mediterranean diet. You know, I stripped out that dairy. I took out the fish. You know, I took out those last few things. And what a difference it made. Um, I had energy. And within the first two to three weeks, I started to reduce some of my dosages. And I was nearing my next infusion. It was the strongest I'd ever been going into an infusion it was a major setback for me when I took that next dose. Um, I was completely knocked over by it and was confused because it wasn't like a lupus flare. It literally was a healthy body or a a body becoming healthy that had started to build healthy cells. I'm suddenly killing them off. And so I never had another infusion after that. And that was five years ago was my last infusion. And um, goodness, what has happened during these five years still blows my mind. Um, I continue to come off meds. Um, I reduced them very slowly because I had been on a lot of my meds for a decade to two decades. Um, You know, I didn't start this diet until I was 43. So I have 43 years literally of disease building in my body. Um, but my body started getting stronger and stronger. And so I kept reducing the meds down, um, each month or every couple months, I would take a little step down. And by the time I got to four and a half years, um, my birthday last year, when I turned 48, I was able to come off my Lyrica and the Lyrica was the one that was treating my seizures and my, uh, neuropathy. And oddly enough, right before I did this diet, those were the two symptoms that were continuing to increase. Um, They were about to up my Lyrica again. And once I would come up to the next dose of the Lyrica, I would not be able to drive. I would not be able to work. And I was barely able to walk at that time. So um, to fast forward four and a half years into just eating a plant-based diet, it blew my mind that I had recovered so much 
that I was off the med completely. I've not had a seizure since then. So how long, how long has that been? That has been a little bit over six months ago since I came off the Lyrica. And you haven't had a seizure since then? No, no seizures. And you used to have like six a day. I did. Wow. I did. Um, that, that's when I was at the point where they were looking at disability for me. Uh, if you have six seizures a day, um, I'm taking the only medication I can because all seizure meds I rejected. Uh, so I, I was not allowed to take seizure meds. So Lyrica was my only shot at that. And the Benlista I was taking was my only shot at, at the seizures and I was still having them. So no, uh, no infusions, no Lyrica. And miraculously, no seizures. And again, that was only four and a half years into my whole food plant-based diet. And it, it blows my mind because for my body to be in such a debilitating state with that much medication and to now not have any medication and my body to have recovered from that repaired some of the damage that had happened over the years it, it's crazy to think that literally that broccoli that kale that quinoa that <laughs> all of things you know just real true food and its natural state and all its glory and its fiber and it, and and its plant-based protein and just you know everything your body needs in its natural state did everything that the medications never could do it, it's crazy. And, and to be honest, it makes me frustrated that, that there weren't more doctors working with me in the specialties that I needed that were teaching this. It's very, very frustrating to know all those years that I lost, my 20s, my 30s, my childbearing years, you know, those years that you're supposed to be vibrant and really coming into yourself, completely wasted on disease when the answer was right there and could have been on my plate all that, all that time. Um, you know, so it, it, it's very um, empowering to know that I could take control of my body, take control of my health and get that back. But I will admit it. It is also very frustrating to know that I, I could have had this all along, that I did not need to suffer to that um, degree. Um, I, was still taking my Plaquenil and my prednisone at that time. And I was happy to be able to say at the beginning of April, um, the five-year anniversary of my last infusion that I had been able to come off those last two meds. So where you found me was when I was announcing that I was 100% lupus med-free after all these years. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. So I thought the Lyrica was a big deal, which it was. <laughs> but the, the rest of it is, is just really astounding. It's, it's been very emotional, it's been very overwhelming. But I know now that I'm at a point where my body is just getting stronger and stronger. And like I said, doing things that the medication couldn't do, and I'm just doing it all naturally, just by the power of good fuel on my plate, going into my body and letting my body do what it was always intended to do. And um, couldn't be happier. And quite honestly, I, I my whole 
mindset is that I was given this beautiful gift, a second chance at life, a life that I never thought I would have, and really an opportunity to pay this forward to other people that are going through the struggles that I went through all those years, all the things that I recognized where it didn't sound pretty and it seemed hopeless and helpless. Um, I'm really doing everything I can to pay this forward. And quite honestly, I, I, I love sharing this story because nobody should be living an agonizing chronic pain and illness every day of their life when there's much better options out there. It's just overwhelming. Your story is overwhelming. And I, I, each, each week when I hear these types of stories, I never get, it never, never ceases to astound me and amaze me that it's just so amazing and miraculous and powerful. And I never, I never get bored. I'll never get bored of hearing stories like yours. I'll never get sick of it. Like it just needs to be shared. It needs to be heard because there are so many people just like you out there who desperately need to hear this story and to hear multiple stories like this that make them feel like, okay, it's worth giving it a shot. It's so, it's so worth it. There's nothing to lose. Absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I, I've had people, you know, question this lifestyle change. Um, I don't really like calling it a diet. I actually, it is a lifestyle and it is a nutritional approach to treating my illness and managing my health and my body. Um, you know, but it's hard when people question it as if it's something so extreme, um, you know, it, it confuses people because it is something that, to be honest, it is really simple. So, you know, I, I definitely have people very close to me concerned when I did this. Um, I was told that my doctor would drop me for being non-compliant with my treatment plan. Um, I was told that I wasn't going to get enough protein. Um, <laughs> and it's so funny because, you know, we're, we're taught in our society that protein has to be meat from an animal. And we forget that those animals are getting their protein from plants. And so I'm getting it in its natural form. I, I don't need the middle animal to bring it to me. I can get it on my own. Um, let my body function the way it was supposed to. Um, and, you know, I... I, I was very careful how I approached my doctor with it. Um, I told her that I had blamed her for years. I had questioned why she couldn't get me better. Every time I failed at something, it was her fault um, or a series of doctors' fault. And I told her that I was finally standing up at the plate with her and that this was finally a team effort and that knowing what I know now, that this could heal my body. If I went back to my old ways, I had to own that. And I could not point the finger at her or anybody else. It was going to be on me. It was my body. I had the right to own it and I had the right to take care of it. And um, fortunately, I don't have to see my doctor all that often. She's very happy for me. Um, <laughs> and she, she really does um, 
she's not overly familiar with a whole food plant-based diet as um, a way to manage illness. That's just really not her wheelhouse. And that's fine. I get it. Uh, fortunately, there's enough doctors that I've met since then that are. Um, and I basically, if I ever need to ask her anything, um, you know, I, we do it by email and it's nice and comfortable. So I don't have to see her a bazillion times. She's not running over to the hospital for the third, fourth time I've been admitted that year. Um, quite honestly, it's been five years since I had to go to the hospital. It's been over five years since I've had to be admitted. And it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So if um, I can email my doctor with a couple questions every now and then and get what I need that way, I'm happy. She's happy. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what the next chapters are like, because I know that my body is still getting better. Um, so I'm off the meds, which is a huge, huge goal, was a huge goal of mine and uh, miraculous um, accomplishment. But I know that my body's still healing and it's still getting better. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what my next steps are. You know, I have to set a new goal because my goal, um, yeah. my goal of bed free was supposed to be by the time I'm, I was 50 and I have a year and a half to get there. So now I need some new goals. <laughs> I'm a little bit ahead of the curve on that. And um, I'm just really excited to see what I, um, I can do from here and, and, how much stronger my body is going to be. It, it's still mind boggling. Cause when I do look back at everything, I know the times that I was hopeless. I know the times that I gave up. I know the times that I threw the towel in and I am beyond grateful that for whatever reason, that was not a lot to happen, that there was a purpose for me to, to still be here. There was a purpose for me to go through all of that. And I'm looking forward to see what that is, um, because to me, I just, this beautiful gift was handed to me, and I feel incredibly blessed. Uh, it doesn't matter that there were all those years of illness. I'm incredibly blessed. I wanted to know how your jaw is. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, I have not had to go back to those surgeons. So that team has not seen me since the day they said, keep your lupus under control. And you Little did. I that, <laughs> and yet, yeah. And, and, and even as I told the story, uh, you know, my mind is you, that doesn't work. You can't keep it under control. And who knew that my boyfriend going to a lecture about eating whole foods, um, eating plants, eating grains, all of that, um, would be the way to keep it under control. I, I just, I, I, if I look back at who I was five, six years ago, I would have never believed it ever. Um, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. And, um, so I know that there are some people that approach me and, you know, they read the story, they hear the story and they start asking the questions and they're still like scratching their heads. Like, how can this be? How can this be? How can I not know this? And I get it. You know, I, you and I are in different countries, um, healthcare systems, you know, maybe a little bit different, but at the core of it, um, there's some business in um, illness. <laughs> um, there's a lack of nutrition teaching to you know our doctors when they're going through med school, so it's not always their fault. Um, like I said, with my doctor, it's not her wheelhouse. It's not what she studied. She didn't study nutrition. She studied rheumatology. 
Um, so while I understand that she could champion me and see that this worked for me, this isn't her background. She doesn't have expertise in this. Um, so, you know, that's why we don't know it. And I think that's why I want to pay it forward and, you know, make it easier for someone that is in that dark place I was, in that helpless, hopeless place I was, in that place where it feels so easy to throw the towel in and say, why me? And, you know, fall into a, a victim mentality as opposed to saying, you know what, I own this body and I'm going to give it a fighting chance. Um, so I, I love when patients reach out to me because I've been there and I know all the excuses that they want to give of why this won't work because I gave them, I was that bad girlfriend that was willing to bro- break up with him over this. Uh, thank goodness that we didn't, <laughs> but so, um, I mean, he saved my life and I, you know, there's a lot of people out there that can really benefit from this, but I understand why they're not ready to jump in and, I'll be patient with them and I'll help anybody Um, just like what you do. (laughs) You know, you want to help people because you've been there, you've walked through this and you know, when that light comes through, when you get to the other side, it's amazing. And um, I, I, I just hope that more people hear about it, whether they're hearing about it from their doctors or not, I think becomes irrelevant. There's enough people out there willing to share it. And hopefully when the timing is right for them, they'll embrace it. Yes. Unfortunately, like you say, we can only, we can lead a horse to water, but we can, we can lead a horse to whole food plant-based living, but we can't make <laughs> them drink. Yeah. Um, I'll admit uh, people that have reached out to me, I, I've had people that have kind of turned the other way when they hear it again, that what it really is. But uh, there's been some people this year that through friend to friend kind of thing heard about me or my posts got reposted, 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 reposted. So they're strangers. Um, They've jumped in. And uh, there's one woman in particular that jumped in through a a mutual friend. And I watch her posts and she says it's the best she's ever felt in her life. And I know what that feels like. And so I'm, I'm so incredibly happy for her. Because like I said, I want to pay this forward. And when I hear another patient getting their life back, I know it's working. And um, so I'll keep making my posts and I'll keep telling my story because all it takes is one or two patients to hear it and it be at the right time for them and they get their lives back too. And and it's just, it's just beautiful. Um, It's so worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so worth it. And I think, I don't know, like from what you're saying, you feel very similar to me. And I think everyone that comes on this show feels very similar where you just, you feel so grateful after suffering so much for so long that you, that it feels like, it feels like not just a calling, but it feels like, like like you say, paying it forward. And for me, it, it, it's, it is that. It's just that you're this like, I can't not share this gift. Like you can't. Like people, people talk about like veganism as a cult, <laughs> and I, I get it. But I mean, it, it it only becomes that way because it actually has real, tangible, <laughs> miraculous, tangible benefits for pretty much everyone. Like I'm, I'm not talking about junk food veganism, but I mean whole food, plant based diet. Right. As far as health goes, we, we, we're, we're so passionate about it because it's literally saved our lives. 
and and we know it saves other people's lives. So you just want to share that, like, because it's just incredible. Exactly. There's a uh, plant-based group here in Cleveland that I am a member of, and I'm actually now a board member, and it's called Plant-Based CLE. And our slogan is share the health. And I love that, um, you know, obviously play on words with share the wealth and no offense, health is a hundred times more valuable than any wealth I could have ever had. But I love that because this whole group is all about the healing aspects of um, just a a nutritional approach to healing their bodies. And so while yes, veganism can be, you know, from the outside looked at as a cult, I don't, I don't consider myself a vegan. Um, I know that's an easy term for some people around me to use when they're explaining it to other people, but I don't like using that term. I did initially until I had someone walk up to me eating an Oreo and it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm vegan. And I'm like, no, no, you're not, you're missing it. This is about nutrients. It's about putting good, healthy, intense fuel into my body and knowing that it's going to make my body run properly. So I, I had to get rid of that word from my vocabulary, not because I have a problem with that word because, because I didn't want people to think that I'm sitting around eating donuts and Oreos and getting healthy. Um, that would not work. <laughs> no. So they were, they were eating an Oreo. Did you say they would, they would eat an Oreo in front of me oh. and just mock me and say, look, I'm vegan too. I'm going to get healthy. You know? And, <laughs> You know, and I'm sure it was all in fun yeah. and it wasn't really meant to be mean, yeah, but at the end yeah. of the day, it's really the wrong message. And yes. I really wanted people to understand that this was really just about healing a body and giving it everything it needs so the body can do what it was always intended to do. And that was to heal itself and a function and make my life fulfilling. And it does. Um, I don't miss anything. I'm asked that all the time. Um, how could I miss any food item that would bring me six seizures a day? There's nothing for me to miss. So what I miss is the neuropathy. You know, I, I don't miss the neuropathy. I don't miss the seizures. I don't miss any of that. So I don't miss any of the animal product. And quite honestly, I love food. Um, so I love playing in the kitchen. Um, I like trying different things. I eat more than salads. Um, I eat more than kale. Um, I just, I really enjoy playing with my food and having a good time and trying new things. And um, heck, I'm living life for the first time in decades. And um, I, I, I'm not missing anything. Great. So what would a day of eating look like for you now? It's, it's quite a combination. It could be all over the board. Um, breakfast during the week before work, I do try and keep it simple just because I'm not a morning person. I like to sleep a little bit late and hit my snooze button. So I keep it very simple for breakfast. Uh, usually there's going to be some gluten-free oats. Um, I'm not necessarily gluten-free, but I always was allergic to oats before. Broke me out horribly. So the gluten-free ones don't. So I'm so happy to have oatmeal back in my life. Um, so I have my, I have my gluten-free oats. I have it with cooked kale, a bunch of cinnamon. Sometimes there's some sweet potatoes in there and maybe some other grains in there. Um, it's just a hearty breakfast for me and a really big bowl. Um, and then lunch can be varied. Um, 
I do love a big salad, but my salads are kind of bizarre. And whenever they check me out of the salad bar at my office, this lady laughs at me. They're enormous. That's enough food for like three days in this box that I put together. Um, It's overflowing with every kind of green I can get on there. But then it's roasted vegetables and it's quinoa and it's uh, chickpeas and um, there's broccoli and there's mushrooms and there's onions and goodness gracious, there's like fruit on there. And there's just such a wild combination. It looks funny as heck in there. Sometimes it's sectioned out. Sometimes just a big old pile of a rainbow of food in there. Um, Again, I like to play with my food. So... um, that's if I'm being lazy, but it's good food and I love a good salad um, there. I love rice bowls. I love quinoa bowls. Um, once in a while, I get lucky downtown and they do these different pop-ups by where I work. And they do these incredible like bazillion types of vegetables sitting out on the tray. And they ask me, which one do you want on top of your rice? And I say, every single one that you can fit in the bowl, you know. <laughs> You know, it's just, um, you know, that's kind of easy lunches. Um, Dinner, goodness, this is where it can be crazy. I like pasta, um, but I also like zucchini zucchini noodles. Um, My boyfriend makes a mean pizza with roasted vegetables and some balsamic on the crust with the marinara and the flavors are so rich. We just had that last night. Um, I was putting it out in my head. Oh my God, I'm craving his pizza and darn if I didn't go there and he had it ready for me. I didn't even say a word. I swear he, I asked him if he had hacked into my account because I had emailed someone about his pizza yesterday and said, I want it. And he had it ready for me. Um, he likes to do big pots of quinoa and rice and just pile every chopped up vegetable and let them all cook together. I like a curry bowl. Um, I like trying Thai food, Indian food, Chinese food, Japanese, like everything. I love playing with flavors, uh, colors, textures. Um, but realistically, when it comes down to it in general, lots of colorful fruits and vegetables, lots of grains, lots and lots of herbal tea. I drink tea a lot. Um, and I'm trying to do better about water. I know, me too. I've got a bottle in front of me now. I'm like, come on, Corinne, it's 11.36 and you drank half a bottle. Come on. Yeah, so, um, but my boyfriend and I are big tea drinkers, so I have so many flavors of herbal tea and green tea and white tea, and um, so not a lot of caffeine per se, um, unless I do my matcha tea, and that's actually my little treat. I love my matcha tea lattes. They're so good, and they keep me zen. Um, but yeah, I just, like I said, I just like trying new things. Um, and I, I need to get back in the kitchen and start playing more. And maybe that's my new goal is playing in the kitchen more and trying new things and having some uh, picture worthy posts uh, of my food. So I learn how to plate it properly. <laughs> oh, that's good. I have to follow you on social media. I'm not there yet. Um, some of my plates don't look so pretty. I'll when, take a picture. When you're and 50, look at it. I'll be. Huh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> By then, that, I, I will make my plates more picture-worthy and post-worthy. <laughs> oh, excellent. So I was wanting to know, you've given us so much already, and I thank you so much for your story because it is truly um, a wonderful friend of mine. His mother has lupus, and so, you know, I often think of her, and, yeah, your story is just 
So moving. Um, so I'm so grateful for you sharing it with us all today. But I wanted to know for people who are listening, who are like, where do I begin? What would be your three biggest tips for people wanting to start out? Okay. Get all of the processed food out of your home, out of your pantry, out of your desk at work. All processed food with all the chemicals have to go away immediately. Um, if you don't like throwing away food and you feel that's wasteful, give it to friends, take it to work. People are going to eat it, um, donate it, um, get rid of it. Um, an autoimmune condition does not like chemicals. If it cannot, uh, distinguish things properly, it's probably not knowing what to do every time you feed it chemicals. Same, and I'll throw sugar in there too. Um, get rid of the sugar and artificial sweeteners goes under chemicals. Do not have them. You're just feeding disease. Then I would say another thing to um, walk away from as fast as you can is dairy. I would say dairy even before meat, just because it's in such a condensed form that I think it's, if you're trying to pick one or the other and like, I don't want to give it all up at the same time, get rid of the dairy. Um, it's, it's highly addictive. It's in a processed form when you're dealing with some forms of dairy. And again, it's such highly concentrated and start bringing in all these colorful foods in their real form all the different greens that are out there. It's not the iceberg lettuce. My goodness, it's not even green sometimes. Go and look for those deep green and colorful or even purple greens. Um, you know, get all those different vegetables on there and start filling up that plate with as many vegetables and greens as you can. You're not going to starve. You will never have a protein deficiency but I really think that those would be the three places I would have someone start. They are three really great places because they're doable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like they're I think, super easy. Yeah, I think a lot of people think, oh, going whole food plant-based is like, oh, my gosh, everything. But if you just think go home and literally just pack, get a bag, shopping bag, fill it up with your pantry things, anything that pretty much has a use-by date <laughs> or – you know, a long use by date or a long list of ingredients, whatever it is, chuck it, a list longer than like one, really. <laughs> chuck it into the bag. And I gave all of my mom's stuff to her sister and I felt so bad handing it over. I'm like, I don't want my mom to have it, but sure, you can have it. I, you know, and I feel that way sometimes when I say donate it to other people. They're eating it anyway. Yeah. And then... If, if I, if it were somebody that was entertaining this way of eating, of course, not. I'm not going to give it to them, Yeah. but these other people buying it anyway. So to them, it's a treat. You know, I, I, I don't like it, but I have a lot of friends that eat that way. So, you know, I don't push people. I, I, am not out there preaching this to anyone. I'm answering people's questions. And if people ask me how to do better, I'm certainly going to tell them, but if they're eating those foods, that's their right. I'm not going to stop them. And if I'm trying to get rid of it, then let them have it. Because at least I know it's not going to waste. I don't like throwing away food. So someone's going to eat it. Like I said, they just saved money. I saved a life. It, you know, it's, it's tough because I do have mixed feelings about giving that food to anyone else. 
again, they're going to eat it anyway. So it is yeah. tough. My mum my got most of that stuff back in her pantry, unfortunately. So even uh, like, even uh, though I, you know, she's she's much much better and improved, but still, she she feels like she needs to have stuff in there for guests. It's a guest pop in no, thing. I no, know. I agree. Your guests should understand where they're going. Exactly. <laughs> and so if they want to eat that, eat that beforehand, eat or bring beforehand. just enough for them to eat when they come over and go home. <laughs> exactly. But yes, yeah, so she has these things for guests, which ends up, I guess, being her. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's dangerous. Oh, it's when so you're dangerous. I do not recommend it. It's just I've, I'm yeah. the naggy daughter, and I um, and I. After a while, you just have to let your mom do what she's gonna do. <laughs> but everybody else who's listening, everyone else is listening. Don't do what my mom does. <laughs> she's not my. She's not the goalpost. <laughs> I just I think it's tough if you're trying to do better going down this path to have it around you. And I know that there are some people where the whole family isn't doing it, so they're around it. I think it makes it tougher for them. And you know, it's someone told me um, in my first year of doing this um, that Thanksgiving I had turkey and I had some stuff that I shouldn't have had that I hadn't had for a long time. And I paid for it. I was very ill. And a gentleman who was not plant-based, not even remotely close to plant-based, asked me why I did it. And I said, well, you know, it's family tradition. It was made. Um, you know, she went to a lot of effort making this dinner. And he said she was going to go to that effort anyway, whether you ate it or not. And I said, well, I kind of did it out of respect. And he repeated she was going to do it anyway. So whether you ate it or not, that was still an effort she was going to go to. And he said, I'm pretty sure she respects you and your health, and therefore that should outweigh it. And if putting those foods in your body is going to make you unhealthy, make you relapse, that should be more important than the fact that she was going to stand there and cook that food anyway. And it took me a while to change my mindset about how our traditions surround food. And I was raised by a Southern woman. So when a Southern woman cooks, you eat their food. That is a sign of respect. You know, different things that we're taught as we grow up. And I really had to unlearn that mentality for the sake of my health. And quite honestly, he was absolutely right. My sister was never offended when I, when I didn't eat her food. Um, she is very happy for me and what I'm doing. And she is never offended when I bring over my whole meal and plate it while she's plating their food. It is so difficult because we are, so even the, I'm in Australia and I can tell you that one of my, the last kind of things I, I have held on to was that, was that like, I'm at someone's house and they've made food for me because I don't like eating oil. And that's my last thing. And people make food for me with oil in it. I just think, oh, they've, they've nailed the vegan part. They worked so hard and they're not vegan and they've tried, but they've got, got gushed olive oil all over it and so I've been eating that for like ever whenever I go to a friend's place and they make it in oil and then I'm just thinking oh my gosh but I suffer for it and I feel awful when I eat it and it's not good for me and it's only like the other day literally where I was like all right even though they've gone to all this trouble I'm just not gonna eat it and it felt horrible in a way because I didn't say anything. I just didn't eat the food. It wasn't a lunch, thankfully. It was like an afternoon tea. 
right? <laughs> but it was hard. It's, it is hard, especially when they've got the vegan part, right? And and it's a big exactly. deal for them to nail the vegan part to say, oh, sorry, I can't eat it because you've put oil in it. It just seems like I'm so sorry because I know that you would never have made this if I wasn't coming and you've gone to all this effort to find a recipe. And oh, it's, it is so tricky because you want to people please so much. Yeah, I spend a lot of time kind of uh, training the the no oil part too, because you're you're absolutely right. They think what I'm doing is vegan. They find the recipe. I'll have uh, friends post a recipe on my page and I'll immediately jump on there and look at it because I know it's going to have oil in it almost every single time. So I will comment back. I'm pretty sure I can make this without the oil. I'm pretty sure I can make this without the sugar. I'm pretty sure I can do this. And and reminding them, in addition to this, for me to truly have this deep nutritional approach to my health, it means the no oil. And I've actually had a lot of people asking about the oil lately and why the no oil. And without getting into all the science, I kind of go into just the the nutrient um, density of it and how, you know, the amount of calories in that little bit of oil compared to the amount of calories in a stomach full of greens and vegetables and grains, you know, I'm getting nutrients from that. I'm not going to get the nutrients from the oil. I'm getting fat from that. And I don't mean me getting fat. I, all I am getting is fat is what is being delivered into my system. Yeah. And I I think that a lot of, sorry to interrupt. I think a lot of people, Olive oil has been marketed so well and 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 I think a lot of people think that it just falls from the sky <laughs> like yeah. that. Olive oil it's a is miracle a, food. It's, a yeah, miracle it's beautiful food. and golden. <laughs> it is beautiful and golden and I know that it tastes delicious on our food. I, I, you do get used to, and now for me it's not delicious because I just think it's no, so heavy and it just taints food but but I can see that it's marketed so well, but it's just not a ho- it's a highly processed food. So you you know, an, an olive off the tree is nothing like the oil that you get in the stores. And people need to realize it's highly processed. It's pretty much completely fat. There is no fiber. There is nothing really beneficial for us in it. So that's why it you know, apart from the science and apart from the all the other bits, like most of it usually oxidizes when cooking, which isn't great for people who have chronic inflammation and disease. Like there's so many things not good about oil that it's just not worthwhile. And you can just if you're listening and you're like, how do I cook without oil? Just you can Google it, <laughs> but but you can just saute in a little bit of water or a little bit of stock, vegetable stock. And it's just as delicious, just as good, and without any of the harmful side effects. I actually think it's more flavorful that way. Um, We use uh, a vegetable broth or mushroom broth, and those flavors infuse into our food. So we actually get a bigger punch of flavor by scrapping the oil, which is not really going to give it flavor because my taste buds don't like it anymore. But when I'm putting the vegetable broth into it and it cooks down into, um, you know, whether it's the rice or the quinoa or whatever, it, it really pulls more deepness into the flavor and gives a more layering effect into the cooking. And so I actually prefer it um, not to have the oil and cook with anything but. Um, and, and it's tough because, and I thank you for going into a little bit of the science of it. Uh, I went to a lecture this weekend. Uh, it was actually Jane Esselstyn 
who is Coldwell Esseston, Dr. Coldwell Esseston's daughter, she now um, does has her own company, Healthcare is Self-Care, and does lectures um, just like her brother Rip does. So fortunately, there's this whole family empire of them all like running out and like saving us all with, uh, you know, a whole food plant base. And someone kept questioning her about olive oil. And man, did she keep her composure? Because, I, I, you know, it's got to be tough hearing that. But she, she literally went into what you said about, you know, versus having the whole food itself, the olive, where it has the fiber and it has nutrients in its whole regular state versus processing it and extracting out the fat and delivering that into the body. That's not what the olive was intended to do. You're, you're supposed to get it in its full, beautiful form. And so, you know, she, they went on and they started questioning her then about coconut oil because while wow, there's some great marketing there and, um, you know, same thing, you know, just that extracting and it's a even more saturated fat and it's hard for people because there's such heavy marketing on there, you know, for all these different oils. And the minute one oil gets a bad rap, there's three more coming up with a great spin of marketing that tells everyone that it's this new miracle. And it really isn't. It's just fat. It is not offering my body the nutri- the nutritious fuel that I need. And it's not worth it to me. And quite honestly, I don't even think it's flavorful. So um, it does. Of no use to me um, if I'm trying my best to put the most nutrients that I can in my body and make my body do what it's supposed to do and heal decades of old wounds. I don't need oil for that. I will never need oil for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, people who are um, listening who are at the beginning, what do you think is like the trickiest, like a stumbling block that you stumbled against and what did you do to move past that? Part of it was difficult outside sources, um, the naysayers, the social situations where people wanted me to do what they were doing. Um, I don't know if that was to make themselves feel better. I certainly hope it wasn't them wanting me to be as sick as I was. Um, but it was hard emotionally and mentally because that's actually how I took it. Anytime someone didn't like me eating this way or made sarcastic comments about me eating this way or aggressively questioned it, I took it to believe that they preferred me being sick. And that was very difficult. Now, obviously, that wouldn't be the same for everyone, but everyone does have the outside sources and influences. Um, I, I just watched it the other day with a friend of mine who is trying to eat better. She's getting rid of the processed foods. And a mutual friend got a cookie and it was this big, crazy, off this heated plate cookie. And she's like, share it with me, share it with me. And my friend that's trying to do better said no numerous times. And I usually try to not judge people's food. But when she's pushing it on someone who's trying to do better, I remembered what that felt like. And finally, I turned around and said, look, I'm never going to tell you what to eat. Please do not tell her what to eat. She's trying to do better. She's trying to lose weight. She's trying to get healthy. Why are you shoving that down her throat? Well, because I'm going to have it and I want her to have it with me. Stop. And those outside influences are hard when you're trying to retrain yourself. All these things that we've learned over the years 
and get over food addictions to deal with those outside sources. So it's like almost like you have to go into these situations anticipating someone's going to try and break you. Someone is going to try and push you off. And you have to focus on what is my end goal? My end goal is to get healthy. My end goal is to be free of fill in whatever symptom or condition. And I know that that food is going to stand in my way. It's not worth it. And if that is going to cause me a friendship, then maybe that's not the friend I need to have. And that's kind of hard to look at a food journey, a nutrition journey, or a health recovery journey that that may be something that you're up against. But when I just watched it a couple days ago, and I know that I dealt with it, and someone who is a super close friend of mine still has a problem with my diet, even though I've accomplished all of this, it's tough. Yeah, it's really challenging. And I think you make a great point. And one, one of the things I want to just take from what you've said and, um, and add to it is just that why, why you're doing it, like sit down and really write it down. The consequences of you staying and remaining at the health that you are now and the possibility of what life could be like if your health did improve dr- dramatically in Joyce's case, in my case, in many people's cases, like write down both columns, like how's life going to be if it stays where it is? How's life going to be if you miraculously improved your health drastically and, and, and look at them both and think like, wow, what if, you know, what, what could life be like if this did work for you, if this lifestyle did work for you, like it has for many, many, many others. And the other thing is when she's talking about friends and family, Obviously, her three, the three tips that you've given us are so great. They're a great place to start. Walk away, get rid of the dairy, walk away from the dairy, get rid of the processed food and start bringing in all of the colorful vegetables. It's a great place to start. But also in that is two things. One is try, even if, you, if there's no friends in your life that are living this way, if you've got no one healthy in your circle, find some community online. Like Joyce said, like I said, we all go online to find or in our, into our community to meetups, to potlucks, to lectures, to, to find other like-minded people that keep us motivated and inspired and on this path. And just keep educating yourself so that it keeps it keeps building your momentum and it keeps reinforcing that why over and over again, like great health, like and why it works, why the science works, you know, why the science says this way of eating works, like why it's better for your health and better for like most people's health um, and keep going so that when those people come to you and they say, eat this cookie, you can wholeheartedly without an ounce of an ounce of remorse or hesitation, just say, no, thank you. I really value myself and I really value my health and you, you're absolutely welcome to eat it yourself and please don't feel judged by me, but this is what's working for me and this is where I want to continue going and moving forward in my life. Absolutely. It's so, it's, it, that, that, that happens to me as well. Like I think a lot of those people have their best interest in hearts, but sometimes we do subconsciously want to maintain that status quo, have keep those friends in the same place as us because then we don't have to change. Yeah, I, I, I don't need friends that want me sick. <laughs> I just, I really yeah. Um, and you know, there's, there's kind of an added, um, extra motivation on my end. Um, there's definitely an intense genetic disposition for autoimmune in my family. My mother had it horribly aggressive. Um, my sisters had the diagnosis. 
They, they all had lupus as well? Yes. And my goddaughter, my niece, um, she has autoimmune markers. Uh, she had a huge tumor removed from her leg and it was autoimmune. It's tough because um, she looks like a mini me. That's kind of the joke in my family, um, which is great since I didn't get to have kids to, to have something, someone that resembles me. Uh, unfortunately for my sister at times, she acts like me too. So I kind of feel bad for my sister to have to dealt with that twice in her life. But what uh, was hard was my sister would say that my niece was scared. Um, you know, she, she knew this. She saw this. Uh, one of her birthdays, I was um, admitted into the infectious disease ward. And so I'm supposed to be going over there for her birthday to celebrate, but instead I'm being admitted. And in order for her to see me, she has to come through two doors to get into my room and put a mask on. That's her birthday. And um, so when she knows the family history, she knows the likelihood of this running through our gene pool. She would ask my sister when she would deal with certain odd random symptoms, am I going to be like Aunt Joyce? And my sister said, my God, it breaks my heart to hear her say that, to be, you know, a preteen, a teenager, and now she's a young woman. But to ask those questions... And it would make me cry. In fact, I'm tearing up right now, even like repeating that moment of, you know, just being so scared. And I knew what I felt like in my 20s and 30s, feeling desperate and scared. And, you know, the thought of her ever being like that. And she came to the hospital numerous times to see me. I could not go to her soccer games and be out in the sun. I couldn't be in group situations because of being around germs and other people that might be carrying some sort of bug or whatever. And um, I remember telling my sister, if I'm not strong enough for myself and I feel like I'm in a cave to peer pressure, if I don't feel that I'm worthy enough for this wonderful gift that's being given to me, I will always know that my niece, my goddaughter, is definitely worth it. And if she ever feels that she is now going down the path that has happened in our family, I can help her. I can give her this beautiful gift of hope and health that just, I, w I was never afforded. My mother was never afforded, um, you know, when I was her age or, you know, while my mother was still around. And um, I, I think that powered me through sometimes when I was getting those outside sources coming at me and I was feeling weak, knowing that this wasn't just about my journey. Um, I thought it was my journey initially, and about midway through, I realized this was no longer my journey. This is something that goes way outside of me, giving hope to others that have been there. And um, I, I, there, there couldn't be better motivation than that of being able to give her hope for her future, um, you know. She's still young. She's in college. I know what I was like in college. I know how sick I was in college. So I like being able to give hope that when or if she goes down that path, it doesn't have to be so scary. She doesn't have to worry anymore. And I, I love being able to do that. So it doesn't hurt if she wonders, that it, well, is she going to be like Aunt Joyce? Well, because holy heck, <laughs> not a bad thing anymore. Um, yeah. Join me. Uh, 
I, I'm living large. I'm enjoying this. So it's okay now if you end up like me. Yay. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm so glad to hear, you know, the work that you're doing now to help other people and to share this message and to, you know, be a hopeful light in your niece's life. Because, yeah, you are you are a beacon of hope for her and you are now giving her, like, uh, a healthy alternative to the options that were previously available to your family. Absolutely. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you. I, I definitely enjoyed being able to speak with you today and share with your listeners, hopefully a message that gives them a better option if they're currently struggling. Thank you so much, Joyce, for coming on the show, taking the time, and I'm just, I am just so overwhelmingly <laughs> thrilled for the outcome of your journey with lupus and for your recovery and to hear this story of hope because it did, it filled, it filled my heart with so much hope and happiness and gratitude. I think gratitude is the word I'm looking for because I don't know what I feel when I when I think about your story. Like it feels just like I feel like crying. I feel like crying, tears of joy. And yeah, it's just, I'm just so thankful that you came on the show because your story is going to help so many people I know who are living with chronic disease, because if you can overcome what you've overcome, there's a chance for all of us. It's a chance for everyone. So thank you so much. I, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate it. I'm going to cry just thinking about it because it's just, it's just so amazing. It's amazing. I'm so glad that you're healthy and that life is amazing for you now. I look forward to hear what the next 10 years brings. Ah, uh, yes. So thank you all for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that message as much as I did. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I put out new episodes. There's a dog shaking. I put out new episodes every Sunday slash Monday with stories like this or stories with other plant-based doctors and professionals in the area of a whole food plant-based diet. If you could take the time to leave a five-star rating, I know you're probably thinking it's only a one-star podcast, man. <laughs> but if you could take the time to leave a five-star rating or a kind review, it really helps this podcast to reach more people who might need it across the world. I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for everyone who might need to hear these, these messages and these stories of hope. So please, if you could five-star rating and a kind review at iTunes. I would be so, so grateful. Also, I'm putting out updates and other bits and pieces about the podcast on my Facebook page, When Life Gives You Lemons Go Vegan. So if you head over to Facebook and like that page, you'll be getting all of the latest, most up-to-date um, episodes and information about upcoming guests and that type of thing over at that page. If you know anyone who might benefit from these messages, if you could share it on your social media or tag a friend in the posts or anything like that, it really helps me, again, to spread this message. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for liking the show. And I'm so grateful to all of you um, who have subscribed and who are subscribing. It makes my day to be able to bring this podcast to you all. So, yeah. And if you know anyone who has a great recovery story, 
send them my way. You can find me on social media on Facebook and just send me a message. That would be awesome. Or if you ask someone, even better. And that's it for me for this week. So I will see you next week. Bye.